0: A Learjet 45 is flying government officials into Mexico City when they encounter something unexpected. What caused this flight to crash into the city, facing the opposite way from the airport? Welcome back to the Hard Landings Podcast, everybody. I'm Nick.
1: I'm Miranda. I'm Christy. Today we have... Uh, Kaylen. Yay! Hey, new friend. <laughs>
0: yeah. Well, I mean, we've known him for a while. Well,
2: yes, but new friend on the podcast. Kalen's listened for a while, I think, and is caught up.
3: Uh, well, mostly caught up. I have not listened in order. There's got to be at least okay. 3 I missed. That's okay. <laughs> <laughs> okay. But he listens pretty avidly and he
0: I love his he comments on our stuff sometimes and it's he's funny. So, <laughs>
2: And we play in band with him. Yes, we so. play in
0: band with him. Uh, Miranda went to school with him for a little bit. Yeah. And yeah, we, we have good conversations, so this should be fun. This is
1: going to be great. <laughs> <laughs> Strap in, friendos. Strap in. Hello to our new patron, Kaylin. Not this Kalen. Not this Kalen. Different Kalen.
2: Different Kalen. Also a friend, Kaylins. though.
0: Who's also a friend of ours, is, actually.
1: Yeah, this
2: is a Kaylin that we went to high school with. In marching band, she was in my flute section.
0: Spelt differently. Yes. Yes.
1: Very differently. But thank you for being a patron. We high-key appreciate it. Thank you to all our patrons. If you want to look at Patreon, we say it every week that you should go check it out. Please and thank you. Yeah, that. So, August listener episodes. Here's the deal. I realize you're going to listen to this in September, and you may already listen to the August episode, but... We got really, 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 really busy. Meaning, I got really, 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 (laughs)
0: really, really, really busy. Yeah, for one. But also, two, we didn't get any stories until the second to last week of August. Yeah. Which ultimately leaves us with one week which we already had plans for and couldn't fill. So, we're
2: recording it, like, one of the last days of August, and it may or may not come out actually in August.
1: It might be uh, the first week of September. So sorry. I'm sorry, friends. I have so much stuff I have to do. Like, well, you started and, school. And I'm, I'm so busy. <laughs> also, to our flight crew patrons, I apologize in advance for not scheduling the Zoom call. I'm this was carbon. also a thing. I was also busy. <laughs> Did I mention I was really busy? <laughs> After not being in the classroom for 18 months. Yeah, it's a lot.
2: Okay, well. September listener stories. Submit your stories.
1: Now, please, God. <laughs>
0: <laughs> <laughs> Tell me how um, you Or really as fail. soon
2: as possible. Just a reminder, they are either your 9-11 remembrance stories, where you were, what you were doing, or any other big event if such you, as that. Where
0: were you when? Yeah. Stories.
1: Yes. I expect at least one challenger one. Because that's a big one. And we weren't alive, so I want to know. Speak for Thanks. yourself. Well, the the three of us that are normally on the podcast (laughs) were not born yet. Yes, it was ten years before I was born, and me and Christy, and then nine years before Nick was
0: born. Nine years before I was born. Yes.
1: All right. Enough of that stuff. What are we covering today, Nick?
0: Today we don't have a flight number. Oh. We are covering the 2008 Mexico City Learjet crash.
2: The other 2008 Learjet crash.
0: This is an important one.
2: Thank you to our patron, Chris, for recommending (laughs) this crash.
0: Yeah. Thanks, Chris. So this crash happened on November 4th of 2008. This was a Learjet what? You mean it was a Learjet crash? Learjet 45 with tail number X-Ray Charlie-Victor Mike Charlie. The airplane went by Mike Charlie over most of the radio calls, things like that. But I don't have any of the radio calls in here, so... More to the point, that was how they referred to the airplane. This flight was from San Luis Potosi Airport to Mexico City Benito Juarez International Airport.
2: Benito Juarez de la Ciudad de Mexico.
0: Yes,
1: <laughs> it's like Christie can speak Spanish or something.
2: <laughs> uh, it's, it's there. That that was required for this episode. We'll get to that later.
0: Yes, the captain for this flight was to be Martin Oliva. And there's no flight hours, so... Awesome. Yep, we're just going to keep going. The first officer was Alvaro Sanchez.
2: Who was also a captain, for the record? Yes, they
0: were both technically captains, but Alvaro Sanchez was acting as the first officer. He was in the right seat and performing first officer duties on this flight. The flight was a government charter of several very high-ranking government officials. One of the officials was Juan Camilo Mourinho. Mourinho? who was the top aide to the sitting Mexican president at the time.
2: He was the interior secretary, I believe?
0: Yes, he was secretary of the interior, yes.
2: And is the equivalent of the vice president of Mexico.
0: Yep. So, important.
1: Importante.
0: Yes. Ah. <laughs> <laughs> My God. Also on board was, ready for a long name? <laughs> oh, boy. Sure. Jose Luis Santiago Vasconcelos, who was the former assistant attorney general for Mexico and was leading the legal battle battle against the drug cartels in Mexico at the time, which, in 2008, was a big year because they had gotten very bad. Big thing.
2: Kalen's nodding his head like he knows what we're talking about.
0: (laughs) (laughs) The flight departed San Luis Potosi at 6.04 p.m. local time. They climbed to a cruising altitude of 27,000 feet for the short flight. The tower controller then transferred the flight to the Sector 6 Mexico Control Center. As the flight entered the Mexico City area, they were transferred several more times to other frequencies to other controllers before reaching the approach controller. The approach controller then sequenced the flight into the approach for Mexico City, placing them in front of a Fokker 100. Yes, I'm sorry.
1: We've covered this before. (laughs) F-O-K-K-E-R. Thank you. Moving on.
0: Yes, a Fokker 100, and then behind a Boeing 767-300. Sizable airplane. Huge
1: airplane. Big boy.
0: Yes. 6.38 p.m. and 38 seconds, ATC cleared the 767 direct to the Mateo VOR to enter the ILS approach for 05 right. At 6.38 p.m. and 48 seconds, ATC instructed the Learjet to reduce their speed to 200 knots. At 6.40 p.m. and 2 seconds, ATC asked the Learjet if they had turned toward the Mateo VOR yet, which they responded they had not. Five seconds later, the air traffic controller instructed the Learjet to fly direct to the Mateo VOR and adjust their speed to 220 knots. 6.40 p.m. and 34 seconds, ATC cleared the Learjet for the ILS approach to runway 05 right. 6.40 p.m. and 44 seconds, the ATC once again instructed the Learjet to maintain 220 knots. 6.40 6:40 p.m. and 50 seconds, the Learjet informed the air traffic controller that they were established at 220 knots at that moment. At 6:41 p.m. and 6 seconds, the air traffic controller instructed the 767 to reduce speed to 160 knots for spacing on an A318 ahead of them. 6:41 p.m. and 6 seconds, the air traffic controller cleared the 767 for the ILS approach for runway 05 right. They were already just about on that approach. p.m. and 22 seconds, the air traffic controller cleared the fucker to fly direct to the Mateo VOR at 200 knots, then made a separate call 10 seconds later, clearing them for the ILS approach for 05 right. So now all three airplanes have been cleared. These are the three airplanes that are sequenced with one another. At 6.41 p.m. and 59 seconds, the air traffic controller instructed the 767 to reduce speed to 150 knots, so getting slower and slower. At 6.42 p.m. and 22 seconds, the 767 crossed the Mateo VOR at approximately 224 knots, so still moving quite the rate of speed. At the same time, the Learjet was about 8 nautical miles northeast of the VOR at 272 knots, so also moving at quite the rate of speed.
1: Weren't they supposed to be at 220 knots? Yes,
0: and the 767 was supposed to be at 150 knots, so both were moving quite fast.
1: Everyone's speed in here.
0: (laughs) (laughs) Everybody's working on slowing down, it just takes some time. 6.44 6.44 p.m. and 8 seconds. The air traffic controller instructed the 767 to reduce their speed to the minimum approach speed. Slow down. He's trying to get the 767 to slow down.
1: He's like, <laughs> listen, I, I realize, I realize, big airplane, slow the f*** down. Yeah.
3: We've got another airplane right in front of you. You gotta slow down.
1: You gotta slow down.
3: Yep. That's been minutes by now. Yes. That he's been saying slow down. Yes.
1: Slow down. Slow down. Everyone, slow down. Take a chill pill. Slow down. <laughs> <laughs>
3: you need he's a gotta chill. Keep, he's got to
0: keep distance on everybody. The Learjet still behind the 767 was nearly crossing the Mateo VOR at the time. At 6.44 p.m. and 14 seconds, the air traffic controller instructed the Learjet to reduce speed to 180 knots and descend to 9,700 feet. At 6.44 p.m. and 56 seconds, the air traffic controller instructed the Fokker to reduce their speed to 180 knots. 6.45 p.m. and 7 seconds, the air traffic controller instructed the 767 to contact the tower and at 6.46 p.m. and 5 seconds, almost a minute later, the air traffic controller then instructed the Learjet to do the same. The approach requires a left turn greater than 90 degrees toward the runway for final approach. The 767 made this turn and was followed a short while later by the Learjet. As the Learjet began its turn, about 5.5 nautical miles from the airport, the airplane suddenly turned hard and flipped over violently before pointing nose down straight toward the ground in an inverted attitude. The crew screamed and fought for control. The airplane began pulling up out of the loop that it was stuck in. At that moment, the airplane was pointed straight down a city block in the busy financial district of Mexico City during rush hour. The airplane struck the street and slid, speeding toward a building and cars where it impacted hard and exploded into flames. Pedestrians scrambled all over. Some ran before the airplane struck the ground. Some didn't notice the airplane until it was too late. Several cars and a newsstand burst into flames and burned along with the main wreckage of the airplane. The flames burned high, some above the surrounding buildings. The buildings were scorched. In all, all nine on board, the three crew members, there was a a flight attendant, as well as six passengers perished in the accident, as well as seven people on the ground perished. Also, 40 people were injured in this accident. From the time that the airplane flipped over to the time it hit the ground was 14 seconds.
1: That's all it takes.
0: That was no time at all. And that's it. That's how fast this happened. (laughs) And
1: now, Christy will tell us
0: why. uh,
1: Eventually.
2: Eventually. (laughs) This investigation was performed by the Dirección General de Aeronautica Civil de Mexico, or the DGAC.
0: Any questions?
3: (laughs) Well...
2: And they enlisted the help of both the United States NTSB and the Federal Bureau of Investigation, or
1: the FBI. Did they think there was a bomb on
0: board? Mind you, there's some politicians
3: on board. Uh, this is very I important. Guess that makes sense. In Mexico, well, everything's going crazy. Oh,
2: yep. Yeah. So since the plane crashed into the financial district during rush hour, it was very difficult to sort through the wreckage and figure out what was plane, what was car, and what was building. Investigators also had a ton of pressure from the president of Mexico, as this was essentially his vice president and was a good friend. Since he and the quote-unquote drug czar were both on board, there was obviously a lot of concern that this was an assassination conducted by a drug cartel or similar criminal enterprise, which is why the FBI was brought in. The FBI took a lot of swabs of debris, including from wreckage that wasn't part of the plane, and ran forensic analyses to find out if there was any residue from a bomb. But that takes time. Meanwhile, investigators were able to establish that the whole plane was indeed at the crash site nose to tail, so they deemed it unlikely that a bomb was to blame. And this was later proven when the swabs for explosive residue came back negative.
1: Which makes sense, because if a bomb blew up in the air, there wouldn't be concentrated wreckage in one spot.
2: Correct. The flight data recorder was found fairly quickly, but crews struggled to locate the cockpit voice recorder. The crews were told that the CVR probably wasn't orange anymore, with, what with the fire, but it still took quite some time before some tech decided to lift up a piece of debris that had been walked over numerous times, and the CVR was on its side under it. They found it. Good job,
1: Yay! guys. Well, at least they found it. Yep.
3: Was it still orange?
0: Nope. No. No. Oh. I can actually show you a picture.
2: One of the NTSB investigators was interviewed during the Air Disasters episode and, in fact, said, I walked over that piece of debris like ten times.
3: Yeah.
1: Funny, if you don't move stuff, you can't find stuff. Fun fact. Yeah, but wouldn't
3: they try to keep from moving stuff too much at the early stage? Yes. So this was the FDR, still nice and orange.
0: And this was the CVR, still nice and black. Wait, there's a CVR in there? Yes. Yes.
1: It's that black thing. (laughs) The brown
0: thing is the CVR. Yep. 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 That's why they had a hard time finding it. Okay.
2: Both black boxes were sent to NTSB headquarters in Washington, D.C. for analysis as Mexico did not have the uh, adequate labs to process that information. Yeah. And both tapes were able to be recovered in full. Huzzah! However. Dang it. (laughs) 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 The data from the FDR
1: was two years old. What? (laughs) (laughs) i was just about to say the same thing so to be fair i've watched the air disasters episode on this but it was years ago and so i know what happened but i don't know the specifics so i'm like so
2: the fdr stopped working two years before the accident and
1: was useless
3: yay oh Uh
1: uh-huh That's so helpful. So helpful. It's like, it's supposed to be a tool on board that Mm -hmm. just doesn't work.
0: I'll give it this. They're pretty lucky that they had a CVR and an FDR because- It's a small plane, yeah. Yeah, a small airplane didn't really need it, but it is a government airplane, so- That's probably why they had it.
2: Yeah. Okay. I'll come back to the CVR in a bit. In lieu of the FDR, investigators sought out eyewitnesses looking for some kind of testimony about what happened before impact. But all anyone remembered was the impact. The boom. Yes. Or the numerous booms as the cars were also exploding. Yes.
3: <laughs>
2: so that's useful. Something had to have gone wrong earlier in the crash, and it seems that no one had seen it. Or had they? One, maybe the only, advantage of having a plane crash in a city is that there are many security cameras everywhere. Eventually, investigators came upon some footage from a rooftop helipad that showed the plane was in an extremely steep dive. Moreover, the plane was flying away from the airport, in the completely opposite direction of where they had been flying just seconds earlier. Normally, it takes a plane a full minute to perform a 180. So what went wrong? Well, what do we know can lead to loss of control? The first thought is any kind of failure with the configuration of the aircraft. During the approach sequence, pilots extend flaps and slats to increase the surface area of the wing to increase lift at slow speeds. Did something go wrong with those that caused a loss of control? Long story short, no. no. Nope. What about thrust reversers? We know from Lauda Flight 4 that if those activated during flight, it would be devastating. Well, the thrust reversers were stowed, so there goes that theory. Did the engines fail? Lord knows we've covered a ton of accidents with that. Nope. Damage to the engines showed that those were operating at the time of impact. We're, we're doing great here, guys. Investigators did not find any mechanical or electromechanical failure at all. Which means. Well, now what? Let's look at the weather. Maybe some crazy weather brought down the plane. Nope, it was a calm night with five knot winds and visibility was six statute miles, which was considered good for the area.
0: Yeah, it is definitely actually pretty oh, good yeah, for, Mexico for Mexico City. City yeah.
2: Yeah. So, for those of you who don't know, Mexico City sits in a bowl. And that's terrible pollution. So, it is not the usual 10 statute miles is good visibility. It's six. Anyway, there goes that theory. We're running out. What do we have left? Let's go to the extreme. Were the pilots on drugs?
1: <laughs> that, wow. that, zero to a hundred real quick. <laughs> <laughs> hey, we've covered it where people, pilots were on drugs before, okay? So,
2: it could happen. I'm justified in this. No, they were not on drugs. Psychologically, were they sound? Yes. Now's probably a good time to go back to the CVR, right? Investigators listened to the approach sequence and heard the crew say, Look, they're lined up in front of us, followed by a bump and turbulence from that thing. I'm sorry, what? This happened 14 seconds before impact, and then they lost control, and they didn't know how to recover. So did they encounter wake turbulence? As we discussed in episode 17 with American Airlines Flight 587... Wake turbulence is a naturally occurring phenomenon for every plane. As the plane's wings cut through the air, the shape of the wing makes the pressure on top of the wing low and the pressure below the wing high, which is what generates lift. Well, when those two streams reconnect, the two different pressures create a vortex coming off the wing, a sort of horizontal tornado, if you will. These linger behind an aircraft for a while and can be dangerous. If you're bored, you can find videos of this on the internet, of planes flying through smoke and such, and you can visually see the vortices. Yes. We saw it at LAX when we went plane spotting. The palm leaf swirled like 30 seconds after the plane had already landed. To counter this, air traffic control sequences planes at a certain distance from each other so that the wind has time to dissipate the vortices. This distance is usually 5 miles. What were these planes' distance at? It was rush hour for approaches. Maybe the air traffic controller messed up and sequenced them too close.
0: They were trying really hard with the speed thing.
2: Well, their separation did go down to 3.8 miles at the smallest separation, but that still isn't enough to cause wake turbulence normally. Or is it? Mm. The five mile guidelines are in place so that wind can disturb the vortices. How strong were the winds? Anyone? Five knots. Five knots. So nothing would that impact how long the vortices would linger to prove this everyone and their mother ran their own simulation. The NTSB ran a joint simulation with NASA, a third party named air traffic simulation, Inc. or ATSI ran one, Boeing ran one, Bombardier ran one, the freaking FBI ran one. The consensus was that given the weather, the wake vortices generated by the 767 in front of them would have lingered long enough to have the Learjet lose control and plummet to the ground.
0: Yay! There you go. (laughs) That's how dangerous wake turbulence is.
2: But investigators didn't feel like that was all of it either. Something still seemed wrong. Not that they should have recovered, but how did they get so close in the first place? I mean, once they were at their minimum separation... First of all, ATC didn't issue any corrective action. But the crew themselves should have maintained their speed better. Investigators analyzed both the descent profiles of the 767 and the Learjet. The 767 showed a beautiful, sloping descent, losing both speed and altitude simultaneously. The Learjet? Not so much. The Learjet was at 11,000 feet, then descended rapidly to 9,700 feet. In doing so, it made the crew slower to comply with the requested 180 knots as they were at 220 when they stopped their step descent. For that matter, it's weird that the Learjet was doing a step descent. Yes. Since, sure, that's normal for GA piloting, but when you're flying a Learjet, it's assumed that you have sufficient control and knowledge over both speed and altitude that you can do a smooth, sloped descent rather than a stepped descent where you have to focus on speed and altitude in an alternating manner. But their records show they were experienced pilots, right?
3: But you said no hours. So I here's, find anything. here's
2: where we open a can of worms. Going further back in the CVR to the beginning of the flight, investigators found that the crew struggled with entering data into the flight management system. You know, the plane. <laughs> That's not a good
0: sign. <laughs> they couldn't figure out how to do the ILS approach.
2: They shouldn't struggle with that if they were experienced in the Learjet.
0: This should be an easy thing.
2: So investigators dug into their flight records, and they dug hard. They called their flight schools, both the ones they trained at and and the ones they allegedly taught at. With each call, investigators were able to cross off more and more of both pilots' records as being falsified and fraudulent.
3: Uh They couldn't
2: find some of their listed instructors at all. Signatures were missing. Forms were missing. This crew was not qualified to fly
1: this plane.
0: They were not typewritten on a Learjet. Wow.
1: They and shouldn't they, have even been in the cockpit, much were, less flying the
0: airplane. They
3: were flying government officials. Important sorry. people. Yeah. Important people in a plane that doesn't have qualified pilots?
0: Yeah. Imagine
3: Air Force One or Air Force Two with a rookie pilot. Bad. <laughs> Not with a rookie pilot, with with a guitarist.
2: Yeah.
1: <laughs> <laughs> yeah. That's so basically how good they were at They
2: took advantage of the system and found it fairly easy to falsify records and were able
1: to get into this position you know I find, I find it very very interesting that they were able to do that and no one double checked anything no one called flight schools no one checked the forms no one did any well, any checking and it's not that they didn't know how to fly a plane
2: they did have some time on the learjet but no one at the school was checking their records either so i don't know if you talk about this later but eventually the flight schools got suspended since uh
1: they're not doing their job
2: yeah
3: so they they know they know how to fly the Learjet. Sort of. At least, well, better than I could. So they yes. can kind of fly it. They don't know anything about their hours. Do they have any information on their history as pilots? Like, they
2: don't know how much is real.
0: Yeah, they couldn't figure out how
3: much was So they was. know they've been on a plane before, but... Well, to, to put
1: it simply, right, like, I wouldn't know how to take off in a Learjet. Like, they were able to take off. They were able to have the right configuration. They probably would have had the right configuration going into Mexico City. But the problem is, is they don't know how experienced that was. And that's probably why they were like, why are they doing a step descent when they should be doing a slope descent? And maybe it's a possibility they had no idea how to do a slope descent.
2: They didn't have that level of control over simultaneous speed and altitude loss. They had to do it alternating. So you'd lose altitude, then you lose speed. Then you lose altitude, then you lose speed.
1: And the next question would be, they didn't know how to get to the ILS. Were they instrument rated? Because Who freaking knows? if they were yeah. then that would make sense. They wouldn't understand that you have to tune into a certain frequency and that frequency would help you get to the runway. So, so moral of the story, double check. Checks and balances.
2: And one of the things that someone in the air disasters episode said, you would think you wouldn't falsify this kind of thing because it's your life at risk due.
1: You're flying a plane. You are on board.
0: Yeah. It is as much your life on the line as anybody else's.
1: Maybe the paycheck was good enough that they were like, eh, it doesn't matter.
0: That is probably the case, unfortunately. The
1: part that kills me is it's both of them. Yes.
2: It's not just one of them. It's both of them. And one of them was a captain. Both of them were captains. Captain. Captain. Both were captains.
0: First. Quote
1: <laughs> <sighs> So.
0: Or were they? Or, or were,
1: were they? they?
0: They weren't in anything.
1: <laughs> yeah. It turns out. They were pilots.
0: They were sitting, sitting in, in the pilots. chairs. Yeah, they were seats and chairs. That's pretty much it.
1: Or as yep. Kalen uh, clearly put it, guitarists. <laughs> I mean, mean,
2: for lack of a better analogy, this would be like if Brendan sat in a Learjet. He's like, I can probably do some things. Yeah, he could probably figure it out, but would I I get in the plane with him? He might be more competent. Maybe. I don't know. He probably wouldn't know how to put information in the FMS on a Learjet either.
0: Maybe not, but he could probably figure it out. He could definitely figure out how to do an ILS.
1: That's fair. (laughs) All right. We're going to take our brick break, and we'll come back, and your girl's going to do conclusions.
0: Yeah.
2: (laughs) So Miranda translated her part. I did. I, for the most part, read the entire analysis verbatim. I... I took five years of Spanish, and I am somewhat competent.
0: Between my Italian, French, and Spanish experience, I understand a lot of Latin roots and things, and I was able to basically read this report and such. I didn't really leave anything out, but there was a couple of details I had to leave out, much like I would normally, for the sake of the story. So that said, I mean, I was able to pretty much read the story as it was they did leave out the accident portion so i had to come up with that
2: (laughs) so if you send us a recommendation with a report that's in spanish we'll probably hate you a little
0: bit but we can read it
1: (laughs) but we'll make do i could have figured it out but do i want to read those figure that out while i'm trying to read no not really so with that being said conclusions not findings conclusions
0: conclusions
1: number 1 same as always the aircraft was certified and equipped with everything it was supposed to be yes blah, but blah. number 2 the maintenance of the same oh. was applied according to so it was up to date with maintenance that's not what i was expecting three, number 3 there was no evidence of mechanical failure of the aircraft or no. any
2: of its components they just skipped over the one that i was really
1: excited to hear <laughs> It's coming. I'm sure it's coming. It's usually the second finding. I know. Number four, there are no elements that allow suspecting that the plane was carrying fire during the fall or that it was fragmented before impact. This is a uh, translation. Trans- trans- There's translation.
3: no evidence. Hey. It was bombed. It, there was no ah, bomb. Everything was being fired. fire.
1: Yes. <laughs> 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 Better than... Electricity.
2: Electricity.
1: <laughs> I will never get over that.
2: It was a
0: whole line in the Russian translated report. That was fantastic.
1: Was that Russian? No, sure. it was Chinese.
2: Oh, it was
0: Chinese. You're right. It was Chinese. <laughs> Electricity. <laughs>
1: and turtles. I'm like, what the fuck yeah. do turtles have to do with anything?
0: <laughs> turtles on the
3: windshield.
1: <laughs> it's fine. <laughs> I still don't know what that means.
3: So snakes on a plane was inaccurate because they had it's, turtles. It's turtles on the or windshield. <laughs> Turtle's on the windshield.
1: Number five. There was no adverse weather condition that could have contributed to the accident, so it was clear. The crew and the air traffic controllers had valid certificates of psychological aptitude in which they were ruled as suitable for their functions.
2: They weren't crazy. They weren't crazy.
3: According to their supposed medicals.
2: Eventually, one day we'll cover a crash where that's not the case.
3: I don't know. You still got to be a little crazy to put yourself behind the controls of a plane and say you can fly it.
0: Yeah. That's valid. Not Without being
1: certified properly.
0: Yeah. yeah. I would definitely want to know everything about what I'm doing in that airplane before I go fly it. Just yeah. a
1: thought. Just just an idea. Number seven. No traces of alcohol or drug intoxication were found in the crew. Which given Mexico at the time. Uh, it's an important thing to say. Feat. Yes. Number eight. The licenses of the crew and the air traffic controllers were valid. However... Number nine, deficiencies and irregularities were found in the process of obtaining the Learjet 45 capacity certificates for both
0: pilots.
1: (sighs) (sighs) Number 10, emissions were observed in the application of some procedures and standards by the air traffic controller of the Mexico radar approach. So like not making sure they were staying far enough back. So
2: part of that was that the 767 767. did not declare themselves as heavy or pesado as the report said which actually means that the distancing between that and the Learjet should have been More. six miles mm. instead of five. But that was not taken into consideration even after ATC knew it was a 767 and yeah. is therefore on its own without having it be said heavy. Yes.
0: And the ICAO got, along, got away with this heavy. This is just a, a side note. Uh, the ICAO got away with this heavy designation for a very, very long time. But then the A380 came about. Heavy. Which, which ultimately isn't the heaviest airplane in the skies, but it earned the designation super heavy oh. from the ICAO.
2: What is the heaviest plane in the skies?
0: Probably the Antonov 225. Oh, also, yeah, that would do it. Also heavier would be the Antonov 124 and the C5, depending on what they're carrying.
2: They're chonky. And
0: those planes would be far more likely to cause wake turbulence than the A380, because the A380 actually has winglets. But the A380 was such a problem because of its four massive engines, and it still did cause weight turbulence, and it still was very heavy. So, it earned Super Heavy as a designation, and it requires 10 miles. Dang! Which, at Heathrow, became an enormous problem because they have two runways, and they would use one runway for the A380s, because it was the only runway that was actually certified for the A380. And so... They were starting to get so much A380 traffic back 2017, 2018, 2019, that they were starting to seriously have a problem because 10 miles distance causes an enormous problem with sequencing. They weren't allowed to get as many airplanes in in a day since Heathrow actually has a curfew. The airport is shut down at night. That said, yeah, it caused an enormous problem because all these flights that they normally had slots for, they suddenly started having less and less of them because they had to distance for A380s.
2: A380s are getting phased out, so that won't be a problem much longer.
0: Yep. All right. Number
1: 11. The Learjet was placed in a very vulnerable position with respect to the wake turbulence of the preceding heavy aircraft according to the following conditions. Flying from below at low altitude with a low speed, very close, in stable atmospheric conditions. So it was just too close. And it didn't have enough wind to get the wake turbulence between the planes.
2: And furthermore, because they were using a step descent instead of a slope descent, they were actually below the 767, 7, and vortices tend to trail downward. Yes. So they were more in the path of the vortices.
0: It was just a perfect storm for them.
1: It's a bad thing. As usual. Probable cause, as per verbatim from the report.
0: As verbatim as translated can be. Via
2: Google Translate? Uh,
1: yeah, yeah, via, I'm sorry, it wasn't Google Translate, but close uh sorry in advance there are no turtles or electricity in here though that is good the investigating and judging commission of aviation accidents has determined the following as the probable cause of this accident quote loss of control at low altitude and subsequent impact of the aircraft with the ground due to an encounter with wake turbulence produced by the aircraft that it preceded Aeronautical authority to carry out comprehensive air operators, the accident examiner. So it lost control due to low altitude and having impact with wake turbulence.
2: One of the things that an NTSB investigator said in the air disasters episode was if they maybe had a couple thousand more feet of altitude, they could have recovered. They were already upright. So it's hard to
0: picture exactly what they did. The air disasters episode kind of shows what happened. But the reason they were going 180 degrees the other direction isn't because they literally like turned. They went inverted and ended up pointing nose down, going the other direction. They managed to kind of pull the airplane up and around, and they were starting to pull out of that dive, but not before smacking the ground. Belly yeah. first.
1: If they had a couple thousand more feet,
0: they might have been to okay. Might have been able to do it.
1: So, contributing factors, direct and indirect. In addition, the Aviation Accidents Investigating and Judging Commission has indicated as contributory factors to the probable cause are the following. Number one, lack of adequate crew training on the Learjet 45. Duh. Well. (laughs) Hello. Two, delay of the flight crew in reducing speed. Three, lack of air traffic control to issue a corrective measure to the excessive approach of the aircraft. Four, probable accumulated fatigue in the air traffic controller. So apparently the air traffic controller was fatigued.
0: It was rush hour. Yeah, it wouldn't really surprise me because they were really busy.
1: Really busy. I mean, fatigue anywhere is just not great. Five, granting of capabilities flight with administrative problems and probable mishap. Six, insufficient supervision of the aircraft operator to the maintenance and operations service provider. So those were the contributing factors to the probable cause. Basically, this flight shouldn't have happened. No. No. They should not have been on this flight. They should not have been flying this plane. So another
2: another change that was made, I'm not sure if it was directly in the recommendations, was that the Mexican government do a better job at uh, looking at who's going to be flying their officials.
0: Yeah. It seems... Like, that would be priority number one. Just a thought. Just a thought. Yeah,
3: because if your concern is that there's some kind of an assassination going, don't you want to make sure people who can just...
2: Fly the plane into the ground?
3: Are actually vetted? Right. Yeah. Like, you think about almost anywhere else, like, somebody is given the control over the safety of somebody important. You said it was, like, the equivalent of the vice president. Yes. Yes. And it's just like, oh, yeah, there's pilots. They said they're pilots. That's fine. That's fine.
0: Yeah, it just seems Yeah, I want
3: to know why
1: the heck they were, like, how where they were hired, like, how they even got that job. Like, it's it's kind of confusing to me that they I'm just, sure the no one checked wanna their, wanna their flight record or anything to be like, you know, this uh, is a little fishy.
0: I'm sure the investigators want to know just as much as you do. The Question.
1: North. Do you know if the
2: Mexican government has its own fleet now? Oh, they do. Okay.
0: I'm pretty sure they had one then, too, but no, they have. They actually have a much more official fleet now. Now they have 737s, and they have, I think, an A310. I'm not sure, but yeah, they have a much larger fleet these days. They also have a 787, which they decided to give up. Wow. They sold it. They also have a 757.
2: I know at one point I looked up what various heads of state have as their fleet. I don't remember. I will look it up for the post-episode. I
0: think theirs is probably the 757 these days. Because I think they gave up the 787 for money.
2: (laughs) It's an expensive plane.
0: It's very expensive, and they really couldn't afford it. They didn't need it. It was too big. Even the president of Mexico is like,
3: I don't travel enough for this to be justified.
1: Yeah. So there. All right. Yeah,
3: so they just cut costs and making sure they have an actual pilot. But so, like, okay, so the ATC, that was, like, the fatigue. They're just not...
2: So part of that is the air traffic controller, after they got too close, didn't issue an order saying, hey, can you
1: stop that after they reached or the 3.8? like saying that right. they need to slow down even yeah. more or whatever.
0: They did repeat their call for slowing down a couple of times. Yes, they did. But they didn't emphasize enough, like, look, your distance is too close. And ultimately, at most airports, if that distance gets too little, they're going to put that airplane into a 360 or tell them to leave the pattern. I mean, that's just how it is, because they're, they're a danger yeah. to themselves and everybody else.
1: Well, because if you land early, you can hit the other airplane that's already on the runway.
0: So I mean, that too. You can There's obviously the wake, wake turbulence, turbulence. Problem. But also, I mean, in the reverse, if you slow down too early, you've got traffic coming up behind you. And you've got you traffic cause, up your butt. You cause them problems. You could cause wake turbulence on them. You could cause them to just quite literally come into contact with you. Which is no dangerous. good. No good. There's
2: a
1: reason that air traffic controllers make quite a bit of money. And also why I would never want to be an air traffic controller. Hell no. That is the most stressful job you can have. I
0: (laughs) thought about it for a little while and then thought about my stress levels normally, and I'm like, nope.
1: No
2: thanks. No. So
1: kudos to all air traffic controllers. You guys are better people than us. The real MVPs. All right. So, recomendaciones. See. Si. They recommend to strengthen the legal capacity of the technical administrative verifications. So uh, make sure your pilots are verified that they are certified to fly this airplane. Fun fact.
0: Verified, certified, ratified.
1: (laughs) (laughs) They recommend to strengthen the operational capacity and the availability of human, financial, and material resources of the Aeronautical Authority.
0: That one's a little confusing. I assume this has to do with the maintenance of the airplane in some regard, and the expensive costs of maintaining and dealing with airplanes.
1: Sure, we'll go with that.
3: So that one sounded like they're basically just saying, hey, uh, they need funding to do their job effectively. Yeah.
0: Yeah, pretty much. I mean, to me, maybe it has to do with the administrative side of things, that they didn't have enough money to vet pilots. Like, they just didn't have anybody in the role to vet pilots. They just had somebody say, I don't know, you're a pilot. Fly the plane.
1: Yeah, not great. No, it was bad. They recommend air operators of state aircraft other than military ones. They must be considered by the Aeronautical Authority as if they were permit holders by the Aeronautical Authority for purposes of compliance with the technical safety requirements. So they have to meet normal standards. Yes. Despite that they're state-operated
2: planes. Yes. What a concept.
3: Did I miss that? That before this point, they didn't have to meet those?
1: It's not that they didn't, it just wasn't reinforced. Okay. It was
3: that vetted thing.
0: Nobody was checking.
1: Yeah. So they were just like, maybe I want to check that. Well,
2: and like if you think of it in terms of the United States, we have Part 121 operators, airlines, Part 135 operators, or charters. What do our heads of state fly? What are those considered? Do they have a classification?
0: They very much do, of course.
2: I guess the question is at this time, did the Mexican government's plans have that?
1: Maybe not. Maybe that's why they were like... Make it? Enforce it? Please and thank you? Please? God. Okay. They recommend the Aeronautical Authority must require that controllers and pilots be trained on the risks associated with wake turbulence. Obviously. You can... Wake turbulence can screw your stuff up. Real good.
0: I mean, obviously. Obviously. That was to put it real American.
1: Real American. (laughs)
0: Screw your stuff up real good.
1: (laughs) (laughs) They recommend the Aeronautical Authority must have the air safety program proposed by the ICAO established as soon as possible that of the state or the state safety program SSP. So follow the ICAO requirements. Yes. Yes. You know, the international standard. Yeah.
0: There's a reason why they're really good at their job and they have standards.
1: They recommend the Aeronautical Authority must require air operators of state aircraft other than military ones to implement a safety management system or an SMS. This still gets recommended to this day.
0: It gets recommended in, like, every frickin' report.
1: So, uh,
2: spoiler alert, this is part of the Kobe Bryant crash, is that they didn't have a good uh, safety management system. So when we say it's recent, it's, uh...
1: Recent,
0: real recent. I'm sure that none of you guys listening are planning to start an airline or a charter operation anytime soon. But if you are, by <laughs> any <laughs> stance, priority number one, please safety
1: management
0: system. Create a safety management system. A safety a safety management team. There are people who's literally they specialize in this for a reason.
2: Thank you for coming to our TED Talk. Thanks. And moving on.
1: They recommend the Aeronautical Authority, S-E-N-E-A-M, and the ICAO must immediately review the current classification of light, medium, and heavy aircraft to establish a new classification that offers and applies greater safety margins, which we talked about with the, you know, Airbus A380 and all that.
2: I think that somehow this was classified as a medium
1: airplane. And it really should be a light. Yeah. Yeah. It's There's really not, small.
0: Though. It's small, but it's still in a. It's a turbine.
2: Yeah, but aircraft. it ain't, it's not like a baby bus or a thirty-seven.
0: No, it's not. But I have still a hard time putting into...
2: those two in the same category.
0: I understand that, but those are still considered. I mean, large aircraft because, I mean, if you if you range an airplane from the smallest they make to the largest they make, this definitely is somewhere in the middle. A Learjet is right smack in the
3: middle. Like so, the ratings just like kind of like they they're. they're... Their general mass. Their displacement of the air that they're moving, essentially, then. Yeah. Essentially. I mean, yeah. And I mean,
0: when you're talking about number of passengers, the way they operate, things like that, because this airplane can operate beyond the capabilities of an airliner. An airliner's max altitude is typically thirty-nine to 40,000 feet. These things have an operating altitude of like 55.
2: Yeah, but See as later. far as, I mean, in terms of displaced air and... Produced wake turbulence on approach. I have a hard time putting them in the same category as a baby bus or a 37.
0: Which I understand. But I think it has a lot to do with speed. And then how the wings are formed. Which these have winglets. So they can still dissipate a bit.
1: This entire conversation is why they have
0: this recommendation. (laughs)
1: Exactly. (laughs) It's like, guess what, guys? That's why they had the recommendation. No, you're right.
0: Absolutely. It's true.
1: Because... The classifications, I mean, they could say that this is a medium, and then they look back at it, and they're like, eh, you know. I don't know. Maybe not. And maybe, like, having an extra one, like, uh, wide bodies or, like. Or a medium light. Or medium, or medium heavy, or whatever, you yeah. know.
2: Well, that's so, why they
0: have super heavy, heavy, and then. I
2: know, but we're that's talking about stuff way bigger than what we're talking about. Yeah, but, so... I
0: mean, you can designate a 757 as heavy.
2: Yes, but I, I'm still like I'm still stuck on the 37 versus a Learjet. Those two I feel like should not be in the same category, uh, and in this system are. I'd
0: argue they are. I okay. mean, I
3: really can see them the same. I, well, then I just really- give them a sub-medium. If we have super heavy, we can have a sub-medium.
0: I yes. like two. So, there we, idea. we go. <laughs> I was gonna
1: say we're not gonna. We should agree. put him in charge of this. <laughs> but yeah, that's exactly why they have this recommendation because they're like, ah, we actually don't know. You should look at that.
3: They probably had this same conversation realized, you know, we can't come up with it. Let's just put it in the recommendation. Somebody else is figuring it out. Pretty much.
1: Hey, you guys who are in charge of all the stuffs, you figure it out. I don't want to do it. Yeah. They recommend the operators of state aircraft, other than those of the military, must improve the mechanisms for the administration and control of the aircraft, which transport officials particularly relevant to the economy or national security. Make sure that your pilots know what the hell they're doing. When they're transporting people who are in charge of very, the economy. Very, very, important people. Uh, and national security. Yes. Like, make sure that they can actually fly the aircraft properly.
2: Can you imagine the level of scrutiny that the pilots come under who fly Air Force One?
3: Oh, oh, oh.
0: They usually have a really... There, there's a very select few people that end up in that category. And it's not by chance. And it's definitely not by like, hey, I noticed your qualifications. No, 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 no. Those people are put on a path to be there. It's, there's a very specific way they get there. And it usually has to do with they fly large airplanes for one. But usually, are military and test pilots. They that is like bottom line. That is how they. And they, they gotta have
2: to be. be trained for some bizarre crap. Well, to be yes. fair,
1: if you think about it, you gotta be kind of a little bit crazy to want to fly Air Force One around
0: on podbus.
1: <laughs> on well, there,
0: and I mean, there's actually quite a few crew members for those things. You'd be surprised because there's because they also have to be on call all the time. I mean, they have to be on the ready. The E-4 is a similar story. It's the airborne command post. So it's literally how the military is commanded from the sky at any given moment. So if a nuclear
2: bomb goes off.
0: It is the most important airplane on Earth. Not even Air Force One. It is primary. Because it is how the Air Force, the military, all these things, they're all commanded. It is literally command post for all things nuclear from the sky. And all things military. And it's important. So, they, the same story, like, they have a couple of them, and they're getting ready to replace them before too long, but they are on call all the time. There's a crew literally sitting in the airplane Aren't aren't the engines
2: running the full time, too?
0: No, the engines don't have to necessarily be running, but the crew has to be on board. All the time. All the time. That's cool. Mm. That's
1: boring. Well, yeah, I bet you'd find stuff to do.
3: Yeah, it's just like your post, like, hey, I'm not flying anywhere, but I got a switch with me. And there's there's an enormous <laughs> exactly. amount of secrecy behind, obviously,
0: that airplane as well as Air Force One, but the one thing that we do know about them is primarily that they're very analog. They have to be. Yep, because analog can't be hacked. Yep. <laughs> Most that's of fact. what those airplanes run on is still very antiquated, but that's for a reason.
1: So when they make uh, a new airplane, they have to make it the old-fashioned steam way. Steam yeah. gauges. Yep, steam
0: gauges for days. <sighs> and... And uh, as a matter of fact, like their radios, they have a round-the-world antenna that stretches out some ridiculous amount of distance behind the airplane. They can release it at any given moment. It's cool. Anyways, we got way off track.
1: Yeah, we did, but it's (laughs) it's relevant. It's relevant, right? I mean, make sure you know who's flying your aircraft. Last, recommendation. All right. They recommend... The existing mechanisms available to the aeronautical authority should be strengthened to achieve better supervision of the operation and technical administrative procedures of the aeronautical education, training, and training centers, and the processes for issuing licenses to aeronautical technical personnel. What a concept. Make sure that they're freaking certified before you give them a certificate to fly a plane. And, like, check their hours. And... Make sure they're Terrify. not falsifying records.
3: This is all way too reasonable. What? Yeah, yeah. Th- th- this is this is way too rational of an approach to uh,
1: clearly. Things. Yeah, clearly because they clearly. didn't do it. So. Right. <laughs> so now now they have to do it. <laughs> they're like, Aah! well, Kaylin, do you have any questions for us?
3: Oh man, so so many of 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 the how like how it even gets this far. Like obviously there's going to be those people who are just like conspiracy, conspiracy. And honestly, not enough of that says absolutely not, because it's crazy
1: that it happened. Also, that it happened. this was yeah. 2008. We're not talking 1980s, 1970s, 2008. Are you kidding me? You couldn't figure out that these pilots weren't supposed to be in this plane in 2008? Well, and that's part of it is that, Mexico hasn't
2: had the most uh, reliable of governments in its history. It has a history of corruption. So it's not supremely difficult to falsify records like that.
3: It has a present of corruption. Yeah, Like, 2008 isn't...
0: Every bit of... And this goes for a lot of places in the world. I mean, I'm half Italian, and I can tell you that the Italian government has always been so corrupt and so messed up. And it's much in the same way in Mexico. I mean, they just, they have a messed up governmental system.
2: The corruption is allowed to exist because there isn't enough oversight. We in the United States are notorious for ridiculous levels of oversight.
0: And we also and have And regulations
2: have and crap. And we <laughs> still have corruption. But there wasn't enough oversight, which is how these things are allowed to happen and how corruption is allowed to perpetuate. And so if no one is overseeing then these things can happen.
3: Yeah, like none of this tells me like, oh, hey, this was planned because it kind of was a perfect storm of a bunch of stuff. But I just immediately hear like, oh, the corruption of, well, these pilots got that job. It may be because they knew somebody and they were making money and they're like, oh yeah, sure. Let's do this. And then, you know, just crash the plane.
2: Yeah. Well, and in in these countries, it's harder to make money. So when you find a way to make good money, you do it.
0: Yeah. They're going to do whatever it takes, right or wrong. To get there.
2: At least they were... I mean, they were probably thinking, at least we're not in
1: a drug cartel.
0: And to be fair, I don't, again, I don't know how long they were getting away with this, but they were getting away with it for a while, I think. These pilots. They,
1: they, they would have to. I don't think they would have taken that job if they had just falsified their records. Recently. Yeah, I mean, there must have been you know? some extent It had of to be, like... like, years and years of planning and falsifying records, before it got to this point, because yeah. if you don't know really how to fly the aircraft, you probably wouldn't want to fly the aircraft.
0: See, in most countries, the or I shouldn't say most, but in a lot of countries like the United States, there's a very easy workaround for this, and I'm pretty sure this is what they do in Mexico now, in order for this to not be a problem. Um, one, don't use a Learjet. <laughs> which, yes. <laughs> well, but if you're gonna use a Learjet, two, just make the pilots come from the Air Force. Yeah, they have to be active military. They should be active air force pilots, and that's what they are. In the U.S., in Canada, in Germany, for all their heads of state, they are active air force pilots. That is their job. That is what they do. They come up through the air force, get all their hours, get their training, all these things, and they
3: put them in that job.
2: And now you get to fly a giant seven four seven, yes, but with steam gauges.
3: Yes.
0: <laughs>
1: Yay!
2: I just Unless... think I'm
3: back to my my first job when I was I don't know sixteen, seventeen. Yeah, mm-hmm. I sure fossilized my records because it was I was supposed to be eighteen, and I'm like, here's my high school ID. I'm eighteen. Just trust me. Yeah, I mean, but that was not flying a plane. Right, it's a whole different thing than flying a plane. <laughs> like, yeah, I need money, but I'm not like, hey, give me this job. I can fly a plane, sure. Right, that's different.
0: Well,
1: and uh, as you said before, Nick, you're putting your own life in danger.
0: As well as everyone else on board. You're as much in the way as everybody else. That's just, that's, I mean, yeah, it, your it, life is on the line. Because
1: there's been a lot of times where crashes have happened and the flight crew don't survive, but the passengers do. Because they're at the front of the plane, and guess what, when a plane crashes? And it's usually nose first. Usually nose first, not tail first. So, I mean, it being in a cockpit in general, you're putting yourself in danger. Like I said, they had to have a certain amount of confidence with the plane, or they wouldn't. I don't think they would have flown it. They so, had
2: yeah. some hours on it. I mean, not well. Every clearly, every record was false, but just a lot of it.
3: <laughs> you know what I'd be curious of, as a fallout of this, how many other pilots?
0: Yeah, that's a good point. So, an interesting thing happened a little while back, and this is in Pakistan.
2: Oh yes. I wish I could say that false flying records is a thing of the past. but Pakistan
0: International Airlines is a very well-known airline, and actually they were certified around the world. They were an ICO-recognized airline. They fly to all over the world um, for a period of time. They even flew to the United States, and they were very active in Europe. They were active all over. Well, that since got shut down in 2019 when it was discovered, which I think we talked about this on the podcast. In yeah, the past.
2: after the crash happened right after we started the podcast right
0: yeah i'm pretty sure the uh the a320 that uh crashed a- on the runway yeah or just short of the runway in the yeah. city yeah they found out that i think it was like 60 percent or 70 percent of the pilots at pia false records huh. <laughs> massive airline i mean they're flying triple sevens they're flying big airplanes all over the world and suddenly they were banned from Europe, they were banned from North America, they were banned from most of Asia, they were banned... I mean, they were... Oof. They were working their way back now. They immediately suspended the licenses of every pilot, and then figured out who was correct, who did have the right records and real records, and uh, went from there. Started reinstating pilots and...
2: Heard the wonderful resource that is, Wikipedia. Wikipedia, mm-hmm. yeah. On June 30th, 2020, PIA was banned from flying in European airspace for six months starting on July 1st, 2020 after the EASA, or the EASA, as I've heard it called Please do uh, not call it that. I hate that. (laughs) Determined that the airline was not capable of certifying and overseeing its operators and aircraft in accordance with applicable international standards. This decision was made soon after it was revealed that at least a third of all pilots' licenses issued in Pakistan were fraudulent. By July 9th, 2020, the airline was also banned by the United Kingdom and the United States.
0: So there you go. There's the real story. I mean, I don't know how real it is. (laughs) That was just
3: last year. Yeah, it was just last
0: year. So, yeah. I mean, this shows you how this can still be a very prevalent problem. And Pakistan International Airlines is, I believe, how the head of state flies from Pakistan.
1: Oh. Well, that's unfortunate.
0: I mean, there's also kind of similar
1: things.
2: (laughs) Well,
0: yes. (laughs) Well, it's it's interesting because this isn't like kind of deviating a little bit, but this doesn't necessarily have to do with records. But then there's financial problems, too, when airlines start having financial problems and they can't handle a pandemic, for example. Like Alitalia.
2: It is not how the head of state gets around.
0: Okay. They have their own.
2: Since 2010, uh, Gulfstream 4 is being operated by Pakistan Air Force. Okay, then. As well as four helicopters hmm. are also on the president and prime minister disposal.
3: You said since 2010? Mm-hmm. Yes. So just a couple of years after Mexico, it's almost like they were listening.
0: Yeah.
2: yeah. I'm also pretty sure this report came out in 2009. So. Yeah, they're
3: like, oh, you know what? We're kind of doing the same thing. We're not licensing our pilots. Yeah, we got probably something.
0: do something about that. Is or this... maybe,
1: just maybe we should use military
3: pilots. You know, use... you, you, there was an episode sometime within this last two years. <laughs> uh there, yeah. there, there, there was an episode where you were saying how a country's airline was prevented from go, you know, using any other country's airspace. But I don't think it was Pakistan.
0: Garuda has had some problems in the past. That was it. Garuda, Indonesia was banned from most places, and they still are banned a few places, but they're, they're so radically changed over the yeah. last 10 years that they've pretty well turned themselves into a really good airline, actually.
2: Going back to our previous conversation, prior to 2010, yes, they were flown around by PIA.
0: Yeah, there you go. See, that's what I thought. And hmm. kind of along a different line, but the, the Pope. Oh, yes. The Pope, which always flies on Pope 1 is always just an Alitalia flight, which is literally just an Alitalia airplane they would use. That's the air, air, major airline in Italy. They would just charter one of the airplanes, one of the large airplanes, to fly him around the world. That's what they would do. But Alitalia has notoriously always had financial problems. They've been in and out of being government-owned and being private, privately owned since they, we, they began. And Alitalia, finally, when the pandemic hit, they just didn't have any money to not operate. And they finally, technically, went under. But the government, once again, Subsidized them. them. They bought them. And they're about to restart. As okay. They're designated as ITA.
2: Bringing this back to this episode. So, I have a list of all air transport for heads of state and government for the world. For Mexico, as of February 2016, the air fleet of the President of Mexico had a total of 18 aircraft, which are described below 17878 which obviously we just said is gone.
0: Yeah, I mean, this is a record from 2016. It's yep. a little old now.
2: A Boeing 757-200, two Boeing 737-300s, and then a bunch, including a couple Learjets.
0: Well, now they have like 4 800s.
2: As of 2018, newly elected President Andres Manuel Lopez Obrador has promised to sell all the fleet and fly commercial and use the money for social projects for the poor. I think this is a terrible idea.
3: It's good and bad. Like, it's the heart in the right place. Hey, you know, we don't need all of this. Yeah. But...
1: Maybe not flying commercial. That's how bombs get planted on airplanes. It's just
0: dangerous for them to be with the public. I mean, it's not that it's, not that it's great that they're necessarily always separated
3: either,
2: but... But, you know...
3: Yeah, especially when you're uh, ahead of a state in a country with a lot of turmoil and uh, a lot of power that can rise up against the government throughout the whole country. Yeah, not... doesn't
1: not
0: Nothing like sticking them on budget airlines and hoping that whatever crews in the pilot and co-pilot seat is qualified.
2: Yeah, that doesn't feel great. All of this is per Wikipedia, by the way. You can go look it up for yourself. You can see every country,
1: which is... What
0: I'm a seeing. lot.
1: Yes. Okay, well. That was the 2008 Learjet Mexico City Crash. Which was X-Ray Charlie, Victor Mike Charlie. Yep. Thanks so much
2: for listening, friends, as always. Thank you, Kaylin, for joining us.
3: Thank you. Thanks. Thanks for yes, having me.
0: Of course. It was fun. We're going to go eat some dessert and then do some post, post episoding.
1: And make sure you check out the website and the merch site and send us your stories
0: for September and patreon and blah blah
1: blah 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 blah, blah. thanks so much for listening friends and we'll catch you all next week
0: keep your
2: speed up
1: please like and follow us on facebook and instagram at hardlandings podcast and on twitter at hardlandings pod subscribe and leave a five-star review on the platform you are
2: using to listen
0: if you would like to see photos and sources for this episode please visit us at hardlandingspodcast.com where you can also leave us feedback and ask questions This episode was
1: researched and written by Nick and Christy. Our theme song was written by Miranda and performed by all three of us plus Leo.
0: And our logo is by Naomi from Not a Monster, Not a Boogeyman.
1: Thanks for listening. Catch you next time.